somewhere along in there, the Holy Spirit and I, I mean, got out of my notes and just was doing what he was telling me to do. And uh, that's always a fun thing to me when the Holy Spirit just takes charge and says, let's go this way and let's talk about this. And he has his own divine purposes uh, for doing that. Uh, I just want to thank you. Um, let me give you the passage of Scripture. Um, Jeremiah, chapter 18, uh, beginning with verse 1. And while you're looking that up, let me just express to you my sincere appreciation for uh, the opportunity to be here. Um, your hospitality has just been so gracious. My, my motel room is, has been such a nice place, um, comfortable atmosphere in bed, the food there for breakfast is wonderful, it's just, in fact it's just downright awesome, and um, they're so friendly there and treat you so nice, and, and just thank you for giving me that kind of a place to rest and pray and hear from God so that I would know what to say to you. And I, I just really appreciate your hospitality to me. And I love being with your pastor. I miss Julie, but I love being with your pastor. And um, I, I suppose you're not supposed to have favorites, but um, Pastor Sid and Julie are favorites since I met them. Um, some people are just more fun to work with than others, and your, your hearts are just kind of a little more compatible, and um, I mean, I try to be compatible with every, everyone I work with, but not everybody is as much fun as Pastor said, okay, <laughs> and, and so it's just been a delight to be with him again, and um, he's made my heart and my life richer because of the conversations that we've had together over lunch and, and at other times. Uh, throughout the day. So thank you so much for giving me that privilege. Thank you for the gracious offering that you have given, which which makes it possible for me to keep doing what I'm doing. I I, I tried to retire three years ago. I, I honestly did. I mean, I officially did at our district assembly, and the Lord said, yeah, well, okay, you can have the certificate, but we're not through. <laughs> So here we are, going at it again, and and um, I'm having fun at it. Okay, um, I don't know when, if ever, he will let me retire. Maybe not. There, there's so much to get done for the kingdom, and there's so much the great heart of God wants to do in this country, and for our individual lives, and for us as a body of believers. And uh, I'm seeing him encourage a body of believers down in Arkansas and show them new visions of himself and what it means if you'll make some changes and, and get a vision for reaching another generation. And God's beginning to help us to do that. And so thank you so much for letting me come and, and for him to so ably put somebody in my place to care for them so we don't lose any strides that we're making while I come and minister to you. And I've thoroughly enjoyed being here. 
You're a great crowd to preach. You're, you're so open and so sensitive. And thank you for your spirit of obedience. Just being willing to respond when God spoke to you. you you've made my visit here and my, my purpose for coming yeah, exceedingly meaningful. I'm often asked, Nathan, what's your favorite passage of Scripture? Well, wow. I don't know. I mean, there are so many wonderful things in the Word of God. I remember when I first started preaching, I thought to myself, you know, in about three years, I will have preached all the way through the Bible, and then what will I do? (laughs) Well, that was 50 years ago. (laughs) Okay? And there's still some... There's still some new things. There's some places in the Bible I've never preached from and God is just opening them up to me. Uh, you know, truth is like a diamond. It has facets. And you, you read this and you see this and God shows you something and then later on, it's like he just twists it a little bit. And you see something new in that passage you never saw before. But this one is one of my favorites because it's filled with so much hope and so much promise. And I have seen so many people's lives transformed when they grasped what this passage is really saying to us. So I want you to, to read it with me. Let's stand together. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1. This is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah. From the Lord, go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. The King James puts a different word in there, as seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel. Can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay is in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. You may be seated. The prophet Jeremiah was commanded by God to go down to the potter's house where he was to receive a message. And it seemed a rather strange place to go to get a message from God. But but Jeremiah had long since learned that whenever the Holy Spirit is leading you to do something, there is always something of value to be gained in being obedient. So he says, so I went down to the potter's house and behold, he wrought a work on the wheel. In other words, when Jeremiah stepped into that ancient manufacturing plant, there were three things that immediately came to his attention. First of all, he saw a man working, a a man making something. Secondly, he saw what it was that the man was working with, namely a piece of clay was gradually taking shape in his hand. And third, he saw the tool with which the potter did his skillful work, namely the wheel. And it was as he looked at these three objects that he received the divine message. Can I not do with you as this potter does, says the Lord. Behold, as clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, 
O house of Israel. Now, according to this interpretation by God, the potter represents God. And the cup or the clay represents you and me. And the wheel represents all of the providences and all of the processes by which God uses to mold us and shape us and fashion us into his own image. This scene represents Jeremiah's philosophy of life. It also happens to be the scriptural explanation for men. You see, you and I are, are not here by accident. We are here in this world because of a creative Causative, purposeful God who put us here. Now, let's look at this potter because he represents God. So, so what's the potter doing? Well, first of all, he's working. He's using his energy, his creativity to perform a certain task. And you see, that is also true of God. God is not an idler in the universe. Jesus said, my father works even until now and I work. And Jesus Christ is a ceaseless worker. Now, it's possible to work in the church and and work very hard and yet not be a Christian. But it's absolutely impossible to have an ongoing, growing, developing relationship with Jesus Christ as a Christian and be a deliberate idler. And not only was this potter working, but I want you to notice that he had a very specific and a very worthwhile task to perform. He was trying to make something. And that is also true of God. He is really not in this world to wreck it. He has not come to steal or to kill or to destroy. Now, it's obvious to all of our eyes that there are many human wrecks all around us, but but they were not made by the hands of God. He's a builder. He is never a destroyer. He is the supreme builder. He is the remaker of broken and shattered things. Now, what this potter was trying to make was a vessel. What the heavenly potter is trying to make is Christ-like men and women. And it is on us that God expends his infinite energy. I mean, God has created this universe. He keeps it in repair, but that by no means taxes his powers. I mean, those are simple chores for God. The task that really challenges God and his energies and the creativity is the building of manhood and womanhood. It's the remaking of damaged and broken lives. And God spares himself no pains as the builder and the remaker of human souls. Now, you folk are close enough and you know, I mean, I think you probably know, that over Fort Collins, there is a clock. It's an atomic clock. It's the clock by which we set all of our clocks. But because it is man-made, it loses a few milliseconds. Every so often, and every once in a while, it has to be recalibrated. Do you know what they use to recalibrate it? The planets. Because they're never a split second late in their orbit. 
God placed them there, told them to stay there, told them how fast to travel, and they've been doing that ever since God spoke them into existence. But it doesn't tax God at all to keep this universe. In fact, I, I really think God is probably saying to us, you know, build a bigger telescope. Make something greater than Hubble because I have more stuff out here that will just blow your mind and I want you to discover it. I mean, you know, when we talk about space, when we talk, when we talk about our planet, our universe, we, we don't talk about inches and feet and miles. We talk about light years. This star is light years away. Well, light, you know, travels. As so many miles per second, five, over 5,000 miles per second. I mean, when the sun is shining, it's 93 million miles away. It takes eight minutes for a ray of sunlight burst from the sun to reach your skin down here. It's a really good thing it's that far away. Otherwise, we would freeze one and, and be fried in the other. It doesn't tax God to keep this universe going. What taxes him? is the remaking of broken and shattered lives. Now, not only was this potter making something worthwhile, but he was working intelligently. He was working according to a plan. And as the prophet looked that day, and gradually that, that bit of clay was taking shape, but, but it was obvious at that moment when, when, he, when Jeremiah's watching that, that... that it has very little use. I mean, he didn't have a, he, Jeremiah didn't have a clue what that piece of clay was going to be made into. But did you know that there was a place where that piece of clay was already perfectly formed? Do you know where that was? In the mind of the potter. Before he ever scooped up that first wad of clay and began to knead it with his hands and sprinkle a little water on it and knead it some more, before he ever started pumping with his foot that treadle, he knew exactly where he was going to press that piece of clay on that thing. He knew how many times he was going to press it. He knew how many times he was going to knead it to make it softer. He, he knew everything. He, from the very first step to the very last, he already knew the whole process. He had dreamed something beautiful for this little bit of clay and he was seeking to make that dream a reality. And if there's any one concept throughout the Bible that it teaches us, it is that God plans every one of our lives. This truth is revealed from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Now, I don't often talk a lot about myself, but I know more about me than I know about anybody else. And so I want to illustrate this truth from my own life. You see, the truth is, I was born to be an evangelist. Every part about me is designed to do this. Uh, when I was a kid, I loved everything that wiggled, crawled, and grew. My mother learned early on in life, you don't ever run your hands in Nathan's pockets on wash day. Because there are things in his pockets, some of them are deceased, and some of them have hatched since he put them in there. 
And so the only really safe thing to do is to take his jeans and go out on the back porch and unroll his cuffs first because you never know where he's been. And you shake them like this. And things are going to come out of his pocket that you would not want in your washing machine. And my mother was just really brave about that. And and so from, from grade school on, I, I would bring things home. I brought stuff home. And, and my, my sweet little mom was four foot five inches tall, okay? And she was very brave about all of that until that Sunday afternoon, I brought those two bull snakes home. One four and a half feet and the other five. And the four and a half footer was a female and she was pregnant. And the only reason I brought her home because I wanted to see her baby's hatch and all that. I brought him along just for companionship. (laughs) So she wouldn't feel so lonely. And my mother would not let me bring him in the house. But she conceded to let me build a cage and put him on the back porch. Which I did. And for a couple of weeks I enjoyed catching grasshoppers and other kinds of stuff and feeding her, because all I really wanted to do was just see her babies born, and I was going to take the whole lot of them back to the farm. And I came home in a couple of weeks, one evening, to discover that somehow she, she was an unhappy camper, and she managed to get out. To this day, how she got out of there, I, I, I don't know. I looked for every crack and seam. I, I don't know how she got out of there. But when my mother made that discovery... She would not let me rest until we had gone through the entire house and we couldn't find it. And in her frustration, she said to me, what are you going to do if you wake up in the middle of the night and that thing's in bed with you? I said, great, I'll catch it. She said, what are we going to do if I wake up and it's in bed with me? I said, we're going to have a funeral. (laughs) Probably mine. And and so when God began to talk to me at 16 about preaching the gospel, it just didn't compute to me. I, I, I didn't understand how my love for science and, and the things of that, how, how could have anything in the world to do with preaching the gospel. Uh, but then along and wrestling with that, I, I, I came across Psalm 139 where David said, Lord, you were there in my mother's womb. You knit me together. Before there ever was a day of my life, you wrote them all down in your book. And you see, what God knew was that I I love audiences. I I love to teach. I I love to communicate. Um, I love to drive. I, I could hardly wait to get my hands on a steering wheel. When I was 14 years old in Kansas, you could drive to school at 14 and I, I don't know how many, I don't know how many miles I've done. I, I, I quit counting after a million. I love to drive. Um, when our son was growing up, I always blocked out spring break for her and fall recess. And I would tell people in revival meetings, well, I'm going home. And they'll say, boy, brother, come to him. You're going to look forward to propping your feet up, aren't you? And just relaxing for a week. And I'd say, no. They've got cabin fever. They want to go somewhere, and so I'll take them. And, but I didn't mind. I, I love to drive. Now, people ask me, Brother Cummings, do you ever fly? Oh, yes. But I don't like to fly. Now, it's not because I'm afraid. I'm not. I wasn't afraid before 9-11, and I'm not afraid now. I don't like planes because my feet dangle. I mean, you, 
It doesn't mean anything to most of you, but TWA, which is no longer in existence, are the ones who got this brilliant idea of moving the seat forward 12 inches so Pastor Sid could have more room for his legs. Big deal. I used to be able to put my tippy toes on the seat in front of me. Now I can't do that because they moved them forward. And, and, and a woman can come on there with a purse as big as a suitcase and they won't charge her. But if I bring my thing on to put under my feet so that my feet don't dangle, it costs me 30 bucks. I don't like airplanes. I like automobiles because uh, I love to drive. Um, my mother spent the first 18 years of my life saying to me, Nathan, don't talk so loud. I'm right here in the room with you. And I've learned to soften my voice and, and use the microphone, uh, you know, but, but I've done a lot of youth camps across the years and, and sometimes we have campfires out there and there's no PA system, but it's okay. I have one. And if I need to, I can just crank it up about 10 decibels. Because why? God built that into me because I was going to spend my life speaking to audiences. Um, I, I can still remember the first part I had in the first grade in the first PTA program. You know, Parent Teachers Association, you remember that? And we didn't have microphones like that, like we've got now. And I remember that in Commerce, Oklahoma, and we were all animals in this little play, and I was a monkey, and that was probably prophetic. <laughs> and the little girl next to me was a robin. And, and, and when I started the school in first grade, I wore size two jeans rolled up twice then. Okay, my, my mom and dad had friends, and their son was three, and he was head and shoulders taller than me at six. And, and so they're watching me, and people are sitting on the edge of their seats, and then this little girl's robin, and, and the teacher learned that, that if the people, you know, if the kids forgot their part in, in stage fright and all that, she didn't have to whisper from behind the curtain because Nathan had not only memorized his part, but he had memorized all of theirs. And he would just say it for them so we could get on with the program. <laughs> and, and so she's a little robin, and, and, and they're listening, and some of them got their hands back behind their ears, up to here, and she's hearing her soft little voice, and they're thinking, oh man, if we can't hear this girl... We'll never be able to hear him. Wrong. I just laid their ears back and they laughed. Because they didn't expect this voice to come out of this little mouth. Like it did. I mean, God knows what he's doing. People ask me a lot. Nathan, do you get tired of eating out at restaurants? No. No, I love to eat out at restaurants. I can eat at restaurants three times a day. I can eat all by myself, or I can eat with somebody. It's a little more fun to eat with somebody, but... but Now, it isn't that I don't like a good home-cooked meal, but, but I love to eat out at restaurants. I mean, you see, God's not into misery. I tell young people all the time, you never need to be afraid of the will of God. He formed you in your mother's womb. He gave you a certain likes and dislikes. I mean, he not only decided how tall and how short, how wide or how skinny you'd be in the color of your eyes and the color of your hair. He literally stamped you with a certain temperament so you would like certain things and dislike other things. He knows more about abundant living than anyone else. And people ask me, don't, don't you get lonely in the motel room? No. 
I mean, it's not that I wouldn't love to have my lovely wife with me. Linda is not ill and, and can't physically travel with me. But, but no, I don't get lonely in there. I mean, that's the way God designed me. And sometimes the glory of God comes in that motel room until I think the curtains are going to clap their hands and the bedspread is going to do a holy dance and I get tired of waiting on them, so I just do it myself. <laughs> God is not in to misery. He knows. He, he destined you to do something and become something. And what is true of my life is, is just true for you, maybe in a different way. But he has a plan for every one of us. But now, if you read this story, as you go through it, you discover what I put up there. But it, but it says the vessel was marred in his hands. Well, then what does it say? Um, it says he made it again another vessel as seemed good to him. Um, in one of my pastors, uh, there was a precious saint there. And when you're young and green, uh, God, God just raises people up to be your encourager. And she was one of those. And I really don't understand how this works. Because I know sometimes that I preach pretty lousy messages and she would come out and say, Oh, Pastor, that was so good and it really spoke to me. And I'm thinking, you're lying right between your teeth. But, but for them, it's not a lie. God lets them get to heaven anyway, even though they're saying those things. Because we need the encouragement. <laughs> but on this particular morning, I, I, I preached on the will and, and the call of God. And so after the service was over, she, she came out to the foyer, but... But our foyer was, was about as big as yours. And I was at the door shaking with people. And she was over in this corner. But though she was over there, I could tell that she was fighting back tears. And, and so I thought, I wonder what theological blunder I made today. She's waiting for everybody to be gone. Then she's going to come and take me to task. So I talked as long as I could and shook hands and held on as long as I could. To try to star off what I thought was going to be a confrontation. But finally everybody left. And when they were gone, she came across the foyer. And now she's not trying to hide the tears. They're just coursing down her cheeks. And I, I called her by name and I said, what's the matter with you? She said, oh, pastor. She said, every time I hear a message on the will or the call of God, she said, it just tears my heart out. And I said, Why? She said, well, when I was 16 years of age, God called me to be a missionary. And she said, I, I didn't resist the call. I, I, I wanted to do that for him. But she said, there was this boy in our youth group who was so handsome. And all we girls were just dying to go with him. But he wasn't a Christian. And she said, I knew what God says in his word about not being unequally yoked with unbelievers. And she said, I, I, I knew that my parents wouldn't approve and the pastor wouldn't recommend it. But she said, he called me one night. And she said, my heart was beating so fast and he, he asked me for a date. And she said, almost before I realized it, I, I, I agreed to it. 
And she said, we started dating and it wasn't very long before we fell madly in love. And he asked me to marry him and he promised me that, that if I would marry him, he would go to church with me. And she said, so I thought, this is how it'll work. He'll go to church with me and, and give his heart to God and God will call him to be a missionary. And I'll be able to have my cake and eat it too. And so against my parents' wishes and my pastor's advice, I married him. And she said it wasn't very long after we got married that he quit coming to church with me. And it also wasn't very long before babies started coming along. And she said it wasn't until 25 years later on his deathbed that he gave his heart to Jesus. But by then, it was too late to answer the call. And she said, I, that call is as real to me today as it was when I heard it at 16 and I'd give anything in the world if I could answer it. And I said, why don't you? And she looked at me in exasperation and she said, Pastor, they don't send 65-year-old women to the mission field. I said, you're missing the point. She said, what do you mean? I said, have you never read Jeremiah 18? She said, yes, that's me. I'm the vessel that was marred in his hands. God had a plan for me. And I exercised my own will and I, and I messed it up. And she said, I just know that one day when we're all in heaven, there's going to be somebody there standing there and they're going to point their finger at me and say, I am on my way to hell because you didn't answer the call. I said, oh lady, you've totally misunderstood that passage. She said, what are you talking about? I said, it says he made it again another vessel as seemed good to him. She said, so? I said, so, would you like to be a missionary? She said, how? I said, look, buying a plane ticket to Africa is not what makes you a missionary. If you couldn't do it over here, you wouldn't be able to do it over there. She said, how? I said, look, I drive my station wagon around on Sunday morning picking up kids. I go down the street that you live on and I see kids playing outside that I don't go to church. I said, why don't you try being a missionary to them? She said, how? I said, we'll give you a Sunday school class. She said, do you think that would please God? I said, it'll make him turn cartwheels and handsprings. She said, but would it deal with this ache in my heart? I said, try it. We gave her a Sunday school class. I watched that woman blossom into a missionary. And when, you remember, when promotion Sunday comes, you know, when you're supposed to go to the next group... Her class always bawled and squalled and cried. I don't want to go to that other class. I like it in here. A few years later, I united her in marriage to a wonderful Christian man. The last time that Lynn and I saw them, in their 80s, they were still missionary. God is incredibly creative. He's an incessant dreamer. At any point in our life that we are willing to yield the clay of our spirit to him. He has a plan. Now obviously God can never do with a fraction of our lives what he would have done with our whole life. But he made it again another vessel as seemed good to him. Not second class. 
Maybe different than the first, but not second class. And God is dreaming plans for us. He's, he's dreaming things for this church. He's an incessant dreamer. You, you haven't seen your best days yet. God's got a plan for you. But some of us, I mean, for some of us, we, we need to read Isaiah 43.18. God says, forget the former things. Don't even let them come to mind. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Even now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? No, we don't perceive it because we're looking back over our shoulder at broken dreams and disappointments and broken promises and we can't even see the new thing that God wants to do because we're looking back at the past. Churches do that. We look back at the, quote, good old days. Well, for heaven's sake, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. These can be the good new days. It's not about the past, but we have to let go of the past. Forget the former things. Don't even let them come to mind. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Oh, but Brother Covenant, you don't know what kind of obstacles we're up against. Well, read the rest of that verse. I'm making a way in the desert. Streams in the desert. Where there is no water. I'm putting water there. I'm capable because I'm an incessant dreamer and I'm dreaming new things for you. Now, there's another part of this story and and I would be remiss if I didn't share it with you. Um, If you go out the back door... Of the potter's house. The crunch under your feet will immediately tell you that you're in the potter's field. And and, and when you look around, you'll see all kinds of broken fragments of vessels. Why are they there? Did the potter make them in order to break them? No. No, they're there because there was something inherently resistant in the clay. And though he needed it and worked with it and sprinkled water on it and and pressed it on the wheel and it resisted him and resisted him and so he watered it up and he started all over again and he put more water and he needed it and he pressed it on the wheel again. Now, when I was young, I just thought if you were talented enough, you you could pick up clay anywhere and you could just make anything you wanted to. And And then I took a course in ceramics. Now, if you just want to make a big, round, smooth water pot, you can do that right here in Colorado. But if you're going to make something like a delicate chisel teacup, it takes a very soft, very pliable clay to be able to do that. But I learned that there's a characteristic that's true of all clay. If in the process of making it and working with it, you you decide that it, it won't shape and mold into what you had in mind for it, you can wad it up and you can start all over again. But you can only do that so many times. Because every time you start over, it loses some of its elasticity. And it becomes a little more firm and less pliable. And what is true of earthly clay is also true of human clay. You see, I'm I'm aware 
in every revival service that I preach, that I'm actually holding life and death in my proverbial hands. Because whether you realize it or not, when you hear the gospel, when you hear truth, something very subtle but but very true and firm is happening inside of us. When we've had a week like we've had, and unfortunately you people have just been so open and so tender, and but I've seen people resist, and, and, and we're never the same men and women at the end of a revival meeting that we were when we began. We're softer, more pliable, more open, or something's happening on the inside. We're getting firm. And the next time God wants to teach a truth to us, he'll have to plow a deeper furrow in our lives in order to get our attention. And so it's just, it's a dangerous thing. That, that, that's why I, I, I can never take preaching just as an example and just think, well, because I've been preaching a long time, I'll just get up and preach something I know. I, can, I can't do that. Because I realize I'm holding life and death in my hands. And I better know what the Holy Spirit wants you to hear. The good news is, we don't have to be in the potter's field. If it's within my ability to resist God, it's also within my ability to allow Him to work and flex and mold and shape and refashion. And sometimes even to start all over again. Because He's the dreamer. And he's got a plan. And there's a song in our hymn that we don't sing it much anymore, at least in most circles where I travel. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I'm waiting, yielded and still. And some of you have got some broken dreams. Some of you have got some broken hearts. Somebody else made some decisions. It wasn't you. But you had to deal with the consequences of the decision they made. And I want to challenge you tonight. Quit, quit looking back. And dreaming about what might have been. The God you serve is an incessant dreamer. You say, Brother Covington, I'm, 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 I'm pretty old. Doesn't matter. Whether you're nine or ninety, God has a plan and He's sovereign and He's creative enough and He has awesome powers and He can take the broken fragments of our life and He can weave them all back together again and, and make a whole brand new plan that seems good to Him. He'll make a place for you in the kingdom. He'll give you. He said, Brother Conan, I, I may not have very many years left. Well, just give them to Jesus and watch what He does with what remains. It's not, with God, it's never about amount of time. 
It's all about amount, the amount of yieldedness with what he's capable of doing. And so I, I want you to stand with me. And, and I don't know how the Holy Spirit will, will apply this to your lives. But I, I just believe that there, because of the message that he gave me, there, there are probably some, bro- be some broken dreams and broken promises and fragments. And, and maybe you just haven't quite figured out who you're supposed to be. He can make that very plain. And I, again, it's going to take some courage, but you guys have demonstrated it all, all week long. That you're, you're very capable of responding to the Lord when He speaks. And I don't know if this is for one individual or a dozen. I just know God wants you to know that there's a future. And it's worthwhile. And it doesn't really, really, really matter about the past. He's capable of taking all those things and building a dream. So would you just bow your heads with me and and, and I want us to pray for each other. Father God, you never waste anything. And you always put things in your word that have meaning and relevance. they, They mean different things to different people, but the Holy Spirit knows how to take them and apply them and you alone know what, what this message might mean to somebody in this audience tonight. It doesn't matter how old we are or what we've done. What you're challenging us to do tonight is just to offer you the pieces And to become soft and pliable in your hands. And then to watch in amazement how you can create something beautiful out of what was so broken and so filled with disappointment and so filled with regret. And I believe that you would like to begin to build a dream for somebody here. Maybe, just maybe, for this congregation. In spite of every obstacle and in spite of all the giants and the well-fortified cities, I mean, we've tore some of those down. We've slain some giants this week. Would you remind us again that there's a promised land to get to? And you're very capable of helping us get there, no matter what the obstacles are. And so we just invite the Holy Spirit to come tonight. Walk up and down the aisles of this church and in and out of the rows and find us where we are. Speak to us where you need to, Lord. And help us to sing in our heart the words of that song. Have, have your own way, Lord. You are the potter. And I am the clay. And there is a plan for me.
And help faith to arise within us. To realize that you can dream and we can dream and you're capable making the dream become a reality. Somebody might just need to pray about that tonight and so Lord, we're just going to open up this altar in a moment. And if that's what we need to do, would you just allow the Holy Spirit to draw us and talk to us and call us to yourself. And no matter how many pieces there are, help us to bring them all and just lay them at your feet and watch you work. This altar's open. I wonder if somebody would say, Brother Covington, do this simple message tonight. God spoke to me and I'd, I'd like an opportunity to pray and just bring the pieces. Would you just be man or woman enough to just slip out of that row there where you are? Come, we won't, we won't tarry long. You've been such an obedient fellowship all week long. And I'll just wait for a moment while you're open up to him and And if God is being gracious enough to speak to you, but it, it seems too difficult to come on your own, just turn to somebody close. Right there beside you, in front of you, or behind you, or across the aisle. Or maybe your Sunday school teacher. Just whisper to them, would you go with me? I really believe they would. And a blessing to both of your lives. I'm going to wait just a minute longer because I, I sense the Lord encouraging somebody. And I, I want to give you time to respond without making you weary with invitation time. Thank you for being 
so gracious to wait with me on the Spirit. If you'd like to help us pray, would, would you just gather in? I hope some of you will. Just gather in around and let's pray with these that have come. If you need to go because of the lateness of the hour, please, please feel free to do that. Otherwise, would you be seated there where you are so that you can be comfortable?